This text on the Dutton text line from Trevor says, Geez, David, I didn't recognise you in a seat. You're trying out for the new James Bond. Looking good. <laughs> Shaking, not stirred. Yeah, no, I just thought, why not? Why not? I'm, you know, I'm developing a, a reputation for being a bit of a slob, Will, and, you know, you clearly are always immaculately presented, particularly in the evenings. You're looking a little bit casual today in the black T-shirt, but, you know, I'll just... Just you class it up. I'll class it up. You'll class, class it up. up. Raise the tone. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the news on this uh, Thursday, uh, Thursday morning. It is the 30th of November. The biggest news yesterday. It's actually a good news story. Uh, a good news economic story came out yesterday, um, headlined by the monthly inflation numbers. Now, it's the driest set of data you could possibly imagine. I don't expect everyone to, you know, high-fiving each other and having a day off to celebrate today, but... This is good news. This is good news when we're staring down the barrel of a December rate rise. So the monthly measure of inflation fell to 4.9%. It had been 56 It's still well outside the 2 to 3% band that the RBA aims for, uh, but the expectation was it would fall to 52 So it's undershot that significantly. Um, they call it surprising to the downside. Uh, that's what you want, because what it says is there's a trend now, a consistent trend um, of uh, the, the monthly inflation data marching toward that target ban. So does it mean that in terms of human behaviour that the last, the 13th rate hike might have been the point where people went, geez. Well, it's, it's certainly the one that... Pulled their heads in, in terms of spending. Certainly changed behaviour the most because it fell by 0.4% in monthly terms. That's the biggest one-month drop we've had since September 2020. Mm. Wow. So that's, the, that's the biggest shift in inflation data we've had in that period of time. Uh, so that's that's good news in the, in the sense that... It means it's incredibly unlikely now, but not impossible, but unlikely that we get another rate rise on the Tuesday next week, which would be the last one of the year and an important one in the lead up to Christmas. It will certainly give them pause because, of course, the RBA is trying to do this this dance where they it's it's the um, uh, not not too hot, not too cold, just right. It's the three bears in the porridge. They what they want to do is they don't want to cause a recession. They want to lower inflation without causing an, a, a recession. The bad news is, I mean, let's let's be honest. What that CPI data means it means retailers right now are getting smashed. Hmm. They're copying it. It means jobs are probably going are, are being lost at the moment. But what it does well, it also mean, means people are eating into their savings. People, people are living on their, their credit cards. Absolutely. So that was part of the good news that came out uh, yesterday. Then we had uh, the OECD, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, present their global outlook. And looking at Australia, they said they believe the, the official cash rate has peaked at what it is right now, 4.35%. They expect the RBA to cut rates by three quarters of a percentage point through the second half of next year and into early 2025. Here is their chief economist, Claire Lomadelli. We're projecting a soft landing for advanced economies, but this is far from guaranteed. In our central projection, disinflation continues towards targets while growth temporarily slows before recovering again in 2025. I don't think these, I don't think these predictions are worth the paper that they're written on, though. It's like, it's like doing your top eight at the start of the year. It's all care and no responsibility. No one remembers that you've made these bold predictions, and so often they're wrong. And the, the wrongest were the ones made by Philip Lay himself when he was the head of the Reserve Bank. Absolutely. You don't know if there's going to be We're going to get no interest out, rates. don't to- know... Yeah. You don't know this is a supply shock in the oil industry, for example, or Saudi Arabia and Russia say, actually, we're not, we're cutting oil barrel production by half. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can't predict. Mm. But this is best predictions. And let's, let's try and put faith in them this time because they're actually good.
Yeah, well, fingers crossed. They're predicting a return to that target band, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, and that, as soon as a month ago, it wasn't looking that good, which again comes with a word of caution. Month on month data is noisy uh, and jumps around a bit, but this one jumped in the right direction, which is good. Noise is an interesting turn of phrase, actually, because it's the one Noise. that the Reserve Bank governor used to describe, you know, what people might otherwise call mortgage distress or the cost of living crisis. Have a listen to the Reserve Bank Governor. So despite that noise, households and businesses in Australia are actually in a pretty good position. Their balance sheets are pretty good. Households and businesses are in a pretty good position. The use of the word noise, I think, is the most striking feature of Ms Bullock's remarks there, because if you decode the word noise, it suggests a stupidity or a baselessness to what you think and what I think about the impact of these 13 consecutive hikes. And it, a noise is sort of... A noise is like a mosquito buzzing. It's a mm. in the background. For her, on her, she earns, well, she, she's just had a pay rise. She was, as deputy governor, she was earning $838,000 a year. So she will have had a significant jump in her salary. And the other thing is the setting. I mean, last week, she made these comments about people living high on the hog, getting dental work and haircuts. She made those comments at some flash. Martin Place Hotel talking to a room full of millionaire bankers who work for the Big Four. She's gone one better uh, this time. These comments that you just played, Will, were made in Hong Kong, mm. uh, one of the world's global financial capitals, at a private dinner for um, regional bankers, all of whom are absolutely rolling in cash. The the comments in in full, you know, she says here... Uh, about the Australian people, their balance sheets are pretty good. Through the pandemic, they built up large savings buffers. They're still largely intact. Uh, people are doing quite well. All the indica- And then she, she says about people coming off fixed rates and going to variable. She says, all the indications from, from the banks and all we hear from the banks is that these households are, quote, doing fine. That is a portrait of someone who has parted company with suburban Australia. Now, I've, I've, I've done a piece about this for Sunday. What she needs to do, and what the Prime Minister needs to do too, and the Treasurer, is instead of sitting around in these private symposiums and international uh, think tank wank fest sort of settings and talking to each other, they should actually come in and spend three hours sitting in front of the 5AA tax line mm. and hearing from the people we hear from, people who are trying to run small businesses, People are trying to find houses to rent. The idea that people are, quote, doing fine in Australia right now is, a, is an absolute insult. The, I would hazard the metric she's referencing when she says the banks are telling her that people are doing it fine is mortgage delinquencies, which is people who don't pay their mortgage. Once is distressed, twice you're falling into a delinquent. You, you're, you're falling delinquent. Now, but, but we, know, we, we know ourselves from things like our relationship with the Hutt Street Centre that one way a lot of Australians, a lot of South Australians are meeting their payments, so they're not... They're not yeah, appearing exactly as right. an economic indicator that the big four people look at about, you know, some highfalutin thing like mortgage delinquency. But what they are doing is they're meeting their mortgage by not buying any food anymore That's and going exactly to the right. Hut Street Centre to have lunch. That is, like, that is exactly right. Is that the way the community's meant to work? Yeah. It's not until you lose your home that you're considered to be suffering. That's right. And, and, and this is the thing, you know, like Glenn Doherty, the mayor of, uh, mayor of um, Elizabeth, I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago. Um, about the situation in the northern suburbs. He said one of the key things that people are doing is cancelling their children's sport. 
because that mm. costs so much money. So things like, you know, private soccer club membership. The great Sam Cafoni from Powell's Liquor, I interviewed him as part of the same story. You can't get a more iconic Salisbury-based business than, than Powell's there, just next to the Roulette's Tavern. And he was saying, well, there are indicators of how things are affecting people, and one of them is a big increase in shoplifting. Yeah. Oh, no, there are millions of other metrics that would suggest that people are suffering. It's not just anecdotal. If you can forget your mortgage delinquency stats, Governor, talk to some real people in real shops and real homes and real suburbs about what it actually looks like on the ground. It's crazy. I've got some good news for you to to cheer you up this morning and fans of similar movies to you, David, given that that was quite a heavy subject matter. Um, Are you aware of the Spinal Tap sequel? No, I'm not. Well, Rob Reiner, uh, it's been rumoured for a while, Rob Reiner's just gone on a podcast in uh, the US uh, with Richard Herring, um, uh, and he has confirmed that, yes, there will be a Spinal Tap sequel. But, you know, uh, since your film, your favourite film is uh, This Is Spinal Tap, you know, we're, we're making a sequel. Are you? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to start shooting in, uh, in the, the end of February, and uh, everybody's back, and... Uh, Paul McCartney is joining us, and Elton John, and a few other surprises. Garth Brooks, and uh, fantastic, yeah. So the cast is all coming back. In fact, Rob Reiner confirmed he too will be playing the role. Marty DeBerge, Marty DeBerge, uh, Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer—they're all going to return as members of Spinal Tap today. It's going to come out next year. So it yeah, will, good. given that the original Spinal Tap debuted March 1984, it's the fortieth anniversary of the original Spinal Tap. The wider the waistband, the deeper the quicksand. Did it start? Or so I have read. <laughs> this, this... It's just so funny on so many levels. It started film. the mockumentary genre, didn't it? Yeah. Were there, were, were well, there the mockumentaries? Term, the term mockumentary is used in that awesome, completely abs- absurdly serious and self-important piece to camera that the faux director, Rob Reiner, as the as the fake director, Marty DeBerge, he uses the term mockumentary. At the start, we rock, mm. then he says rock, rockumentary. rockumentary. I wanted to make a documentary, a rockumentary, if you will. But that's the thing, from rockumentary to mockumentary, a lot of people saw that movie when it came out and went, I've never heard of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> they thought they were actually a real band. <laughs> if you've never seen Spinal Tap, folks, see it. Although, and uh, this is probably something we should discuss with Lucy in the room, I think it skews a bit male. Okay. The appetite for that film and the enthusiasm right. for it. Just over the years, every time I've watched that film with a with a woman, I go, yeah, okay. All right. No. Appropriately Correct warned. me if I'm wrong, listeners. Uh, speaking of um, music, there's a bit of music news around this morning. We're, of course, wishing uh, Jimmy Barnes all the best. He was performed yeah. at the uh, Mushroom Records 50th anniversary the other night and was seemed to be in, in great spirits and great voice. Uh, he put up on social media that he's receiving intravenous antibiotics right now uh, because he's got bacterial pneumonia. So we're wishing him all the best. Um, the 67-year-old, though, says uh, he's expected to make uh, recovery in time for another scheduled performance this coming weekend. He's on oxygen. Six hours of antibiotics and oxygen, yeah. and he reckons he's going to be singing this weekend. Pretty amazing. That is remarkable. Uh, on this day, back in 1977, Blondie played at Apollo Stadium. Oh. How many of our listeners were there? Eight double two three double o double o. Give us a call on... Uh, or you can t- shoot us a text on the Dutton's text line, 048 08 1395. $100 faster, faster voucher for a memory. 1977. 1977. Would that have been when Parallel Lines had just come out? Maybe, maybe earlier. 
What a show that would have been. It would have been unbelievable. What a year for music, 1977. 77, Apollo Stadium. If you were there, you can win yourself $100 worth of Faster Pass. David Pemberthy and Will Goodings, 6 to 9, 5AA Breakfast.